history, crimes and cover-ups in American politics, 1776 to 1963, and survival of the richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries here with you. And just as a man says, from right outside the swamp at the best of Washington, D.C., we come to you every Friday at this time, 5 p.m. Eastern. I have a really cool guest today, somebody I've been wanting to have on the show. Um, and this really um, triggers my literary side. You know, you've heard people have heard me say, you know, I, I'm really just, I'm primarily a novelist. That's what I consider myself, but I've only had one novel published. All I've been having nine nonfiction books now. So uh, it's proven to be much easier for that. But in my heart, I still, you know, I, I have lots of short stories and stuff, poetry and all that. So uh, I'm very much a literary creature. And our guest today, Margaret Anna Alice, uh, I discovered her through Substack. She held my hand uh, somewhat through the process and helped me navigate the waters there. And uh, she's very successful there. And you can see she's she she looks the part of a writer, you know. She just has that. You can you can tell she's a writer. I don't know what the look of a writer is, but she, you've got it. <laughs> and um, so I'm very pleased to have her here. We're going to just talk about everything possible. She's done some lots of great stuff on uh, free speech and COVID and all that. So, Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you, Don. It's really lovely to be here. Well, it's great to have you. So I ask everybody this. I mean, I my. My background, people that listen to me, and I'm an open book, so they know too much about me probably, but uh, I've been awake, you know, since when nobody was awake, you know, when I was a teenager, I was awake and I was, I was working for Mark Lanes as a volunteer for Citizens Committee of Inquiry with the JFK assassination. So I was awake then and telling everybody how corrupt everything was and the government's covering up this and that. And um, so all these decades later now, you know, lots of people are awake, but uh how did you go to the process to worry? Because, you know, I can read uh, your stuff and you, you definitely have some radical opinions as, as opposed to the mainstream. So uh, when did you were, were you um, a good girl at one point and then you went down the, the wayward path or what happened? <laughs> well, um, I've actually always been an anti-authoritarian. <laughs> and so um, pretty much I think I was born that way. and. Um, <laughs> I, my father can attest to this. Um, you know, I actually only lived with him for a few years of my life, like maybe between age six and nine, something like that. But I was incredibly resistant to his attempts to control me. <laughs> and I had a very, you know, good relationship with my mom because it was one of mutual respect, whereas he was trying to apply the strict father um, as opposed to the nurturant parent model that my mo mother used. And so I, I did not and do not respond to people saying, you need to do this just because I tell you to. I have to understand the reason. I have to come to the conclusion on my own. It has to make sense mm -hmm. to me. Um, I, don't, I don't obey just because I'm told to obey. Um, so that's pretty much how I've been all of my life. Um, I will say I you know, did go through some ideological transformations where I was more kind I considered myself a quote unquote progressive at a certain yep. point. Mm -hmm. 
And I went and but my values and I, I write this. I have a piece. Um, it was for my two year stack anniversary um, where I talk about um, my core values. And those have always remained the same. I've always been, you know, very strongly pro freedom, anti tyranny, um, pro er, pro peace, anti war, that sort of thing. And so what I just discovered, though, was that the illusion that the Democrats and the progressives represented those values just fell away. Right. <laughs> and I realized it was all propaganda. And it, you know, this happened after the 2016 election. I actually did vote for Bernie Sanders. You know, I'm very much a populist type of person because I'm into, you know, I love ordinary people and I'm anti-elite. And so that's another reason I was so, I resonated so deeply with the Canadian trucker protests. I just, I love seeing human beings coming together and resisting power. And so it was during, I think it was what, 2017 when the Evergreen Spring happened um, with Brett Weinstein and Heather Hain. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that at Evergreen no. College. Um, basically uh, it was, this quintessential example of how off the rails academia had gone, the social justice warrior wokeism <laughs> had <Yeah>. gone. <laughs> and um, some, a YouTuber named Benjamin Boyce was just documenting this, um, the protests that were happening in Evergreen College by these SJWs, and they were basically taking over the college. And it is really what started Brett Weinstein and Heather Haynes' career because they were both professors there and they were standing up to the, um, you know, day of exclusion where it was supposed to be whites were supposed to stay home, uh, you know, as a right. way of uh, show, honoring the minorities or whatever. And yeah. um, right. Brett was <laughs> exposing the racism of that, really. And he right. was under attack. And so just watching that whole process unfold sort of in real time and seeing the degree to which these people have, the younger generations have been ideologically indoctrinated. Um, it just kind of the scales fell away. And I realized, um, you know, <laughs> I pretty much, I, because I left the left, it didn't mean I, be, I went to the right. I just, right you know, abandoned partisanship well, altogether. And we have, a, we have a lot in common. I mean, you're the girl of my dreams here. I mean, geez, <laughs> I, I, was, I was on, I mean, that's, I, I was a card carrying member of the ACLU back then. And I, you know, I, I, uh, anti-war, uh, prison reform, free, the things that the left used to stand for. Now, of course they stand for nothing, uh, none of that. And isn't it ironic that, you know, the left, I gravitated to them because their whole idea was that they were trying to, uh, I mean, back then, now the left hates the First Amendment. I mean, they had right. a, a so-called commie front back in the day called the First Amendment Committee. I wow. mean, they, they were obsessed with the First Amendment, and yet they were claiming that was communist, then. the right was. Now they hate the First Amendment. And, uh, you know, I, I don't understand it. The ACLU says nothing about the January 6th prisoners. They're not even concerned with that. And uh, things have, have changed so much. So we, we were on the same trajectory, obviously. And uh, the left, you're right. I I don't think I've changed, but I'm a populist too. And uh, you've got to read my book, Survival of the Riches, because uh, that's, uh, mm. that's where I, I think single-handedly restored the reputation of Huey Long, who is my all-time hero. I love Huey Long. Wow. People that listen to the show knows how so many people say, I can't believe you turned me on to Huey Long. He was the 
he was the real deal. He's my all-time hero. And uh, I, I devoted a whole section of the book there to him. And that's the kind of person I am. I'm a populist. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I can't let go of the, uh, the, uh, the unfairness of wealth, you know, right. the, the distribution of wealth. So that, that's the left part of me. But on a lot of issues, I'm right wing now, you know, because just because I've been driven there. So, so you can't. It, and you, you seem almost to me like a, you're nowhere, I'm sure you're nowhere near old enough to have been a hippie, but you're kind of like a disillusioned hippie is what you, <laughs> you, you seem like to me. So, I mean, what, that's, so you said you decided to do, to do Substack, obviously, and it's, it's a great thing for all of us where we can get our, we can vent and uh, maybe make a little money and get, get an audience out there and everything. So tell us about that. So what you, what are you doing Substack? You, I, I noticed you had a, uh, three-part series, I think, where you're talking about with the bullies. And I have another book called Bullyocracy, probably like too, where I wrote about bullying in the social hierarchy in schools. But um, you, uh, you, and you talk about, you know, very, I'm just in accord with everything you say, because it's just that the, we have these people now, and you said, you've chafed at your father. I didn't go that far, I don't think, but they're doing that. But I mean, you must be really out of your element now because we are living in such an authoritarian age and they yeah. just want you to shut up, take your vaccines. I don't care if they don't, you know, I'm taking my fifth booster and I've had COVID eight times, but I don't care. You know, yeah. you have to do it. So how do you, uh, how do you get along? Have you become, what's, what's your family situation? Like, have you become the black sheep? I'm ostracized. <laughs> um, well, my mother is very supportive. Thank goodness. Um, and she's, you know, one of my best friends, I mean, my best friend in a way. So mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for her support. My uncle, um, my father, going back to my father, um, I had a conversation with him um, two Thanksgivings ago, I believe, 2021. And I actually wrote about it in a piece called Letter to an Agree to Disagree Relative. And he um, was completely indoctrinated into the narrative and not just you know, about the COVID and the vaccines, but just trust the government, you know, believe everything they say. And so anybody who questions them must be a flat earth um, Holocaust denier. <laughs> you know, it was right. just right. so, and he, you know, he half jokingly called me, he said, you're the enemy. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like trying to have, you know, a reasonable discussion with him, uh, you know, about risk benefit ratio, clinical trials, things like, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of out the window because, I am a conspiracy theorist and everything I say is unsubstantiated crazy talk. <laughs> so, um, well, we're conspiracy analysts. That's yeah. Gor Gor Vidal said, you know, I'm like, I'm a conspiracy analyst. And that's, yeah. And there's lots of conspiracies to analyze. I mean, exactly. Exactly. I mean, we have, we have a new, a, a new thing almost every day. What did you think of, um, Tucker Carlson's conversation with uh, Vladimir. I, I got to tell you, if they're translating Vladimir Putin correctly, he sounds better than most of our politicians. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't actually had a chance to um, watch it or read any of the transcripts yet. I've just kind of heard about it in the ether so far. But I do know I have a piece. Um, I had an interview with Croatian Weekly, and we got a little bit into Putin in that piece. And one, one of the things I found when I read his speeches is he is very cognizant of the um, wokeism and the infestation of ideology 
into America and how it is being used to manipulate the populace. And I, you know, even though I can't, of course, condone his dictatorial type of <laughs> behavior, um, I do appreciate that he is uh, much more aware of what's going on and, you know, seems to be in a way more of a free speech advocate. <laughs> Certainly yeah, does. He supposedly banned all GMA, uh, GMO products from there. I don't know if that's true. And I, I think, I think he's gone on record saying your government killed Kennedy. I, you know, I don't, I don't know, but, um, you know, so it's, but, uh, so what would you say? Cause just looking at, it seemed to me like there were two, two themes. <clears throat> I mean, I'm all over the place. If you read my sub stack, I try to pick, you know, <laughs> something. sometimes I'll talk about personal stuff and I, I try to address the news if I can. But, um, you know, it comes and goes. The news just, we're always on the brink of World War III. At first it was the Ukraine, then it was Israel, and now it might be Iran. I mean, we're, we're always almost on the brink of World War III. So I don't know if this is, you know, just a show or what, because they keep us in fear porn without COVID. But right. it looks like COVID. So that I get the idea that that, that, that probably radicalized you more. I mean, I, I call COVID the greatest time in the history of the world. What, what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um I think because I had already begun awakening to the propaganda and the media manipulation, um, and especially I, I had Trump, Trump derangement syndrome, I admit it, <laughs> you know, in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, once I realized how, you know, many lies have been told and how I had been deceived, and I'm certainly by no means pro-Trump. And I'm very critical of him for his role in Operation Warp Speed. Yeah. Um, but I realized that Trump derangement syndrome was being used to control people like me and people yeah. on the left who, you know, as soon as initially when Trump was in charge of charge of developing the vaccine, the people on the left were saying, oh, I'm not going to take that. It hasn't been sufficiently tested. You know, mm -hmm. Trump's involved you know, as soon as it switches over to Biden, um, it's everything's great. It's wonderful. Yes, it's, great. The, it's the salvation. And so it was just so clearly an ideological switch and just, you know, very religious, very cult-like. Um, and so from the beginning of the COVID PSYOP, it was very clear to me that this was a propaganda fear campaign. Mm -hmm. And um, people who you could normally engage with and discuss differing viewpoints with just, just went absolutely batshit crazy when you <laughs> tried to express or share opposing evidence and show that, you know, this, this information that you're being fed is basically a lie or a deception or, you know, death tallies are being drastically, um, inflated Absolutely. and the PCR tests are giving us a ridiculously disproportionate count of cases. And they're just pumping that out on a second by second basis on the news and every conceivable media outlet in order to immerse you in this state of fear. So you will bow down to whatever, um, you know, protocols they demand you accept and whatever rights you allow them to take from you. Absolutely. Well, you know, my, what, um, my most, my, my book, Masking the Truth, How COVID-19 Destroyed Civil Liberties and Shut Down the World, that's the most shadow banned book in the world. And literally Barnes and Noble had just recently, they just removed it from their website and they won't even wow. respond to why. 
uh, Amazon is blocked. So many people told me they reviewed it and they won't put it up there. So it's the libraries. They had it. They, oh, they blocked it from libraries for a long time. You couldn't find it, even the Library of Congress. Uh, a few, thanks to people, uh, supporters have been, you know, bombarding the libraries of that. But this is, and as I say, we're going to have to take this show down right afterwards because I can talk, I can talk about the most controversial stuff you want, you want. Uh, but that's one topic they won't, YouTube won't allow as soon as they hear it. Boom, I've got a strike against me. And I like the, most of the people end up watching this live on YouTube. So we have a better chat there. I'm looking over in Rockfin. I don't know where you people are in Rockfin, but uh, I have it up here. So if you guys want to have anything going on over there. But um, so uh, what? what is your, so you obviously didn't get vaccinated or anything, but did, th did this cause, because th this was an emotional issue, all the other issues, in my case, J JFK, 9-11, all, all the other elections, whatever. But this was really emotional. And I, you know, that's why I call it the greatest type of this. This broke, I mean, that, you know, my kids and I are the only ones in the family that didn't get vaccinated. So we, you know, we were banned from my niece's wedding. I never see them again because we, were, we weren't going to get vaccinated to go there. We wanted to go, but I, sorry, I'm not going to do that. Um, that kind of stuff where it ostracizes and it fractures families. Did you experience any of that? If people like said, well, you know, she's been, she's been out there, but this is too, this is beyond the pale. We can't talk anymore. Have you had that kind of stuff? You sound like your father did, but anybody else? Um, yeah, to a certain extent. And I should say, um, my father, you know, has come around a little bit more, um, in that last fall when I talked to him. I asked if he was going to get the booster and he said, I don't know, probably not. Um, so I think he's starting to see through the ruse, um, even though he still trusts the government and the media <laughs> for the most part. Um, but my experience has been um, when I have spoken with, you know, it's kind of been a split. Some friends, uh, when I told them, you know, when mm -hmm. I, you know, confessed <laughs> that I'm a dissident writer, basically. Um, <laughs> it was just so exhilarating because they were on the exact same page and they saw through the propaganda, but they didn't feel, you know, comfortable speaking out about it and seeing what I was doing was just, they were very inspired by it. Um, and so that's always just so exhilarating when you find someone who sees through the propaganda with you, it's like the Ash conformity set test. It's like it's somebody great. sees the real length of the line instead of, you know, seeing the shorter, the long line is short because they're being told to and everybody else sees it that way, supposedly. Well, if you're like me, you're probably, uh, cause you have a, a nice following on Substack. I hope to be able to, uh, to get into your uh, stratosphere there. I'm growing, but you, you, you've got a real good thing going there. Um, so you hear from people. I mean, I hear from people all the time, so I know you must. And I find, like, for instance, asking the truth, there's nobody, there's not one person I know in real life that would, they would even acknowledge that book, let alone read it. And that pretty much goes for most of my books. They, they yeah. don't acknowledge that it's even happening. But I hear from strangers all the time or people I meet online. I consider these people my friends. So I, I imagine that's the way you, this is kind of a cyber world where our supporters are people we don't know. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, it had one of the hardest or the things that hurts the most is to share something that I've done or that's really meaningful to me with, a, you know, someone I consider one of my best friends or some really close friends. And they are so trapped in the narrative yeah. that they can't even see beyond it. And it just they, they the cognitive dissonance is really painful for them. 
Um, and like, for example, I had a friend visit actually that same during that same Thanksgiving in 2021. And I, you know, shared, I, I've written a fairy tale, um, basically a dystopian fairy tale about what's going on. And I shared it with her and she read it um, while I was making tea. And she was just, her affect was just stunned really. And um, to see, you know, to her credit, she talked to me for like, she let me talk mostly for about 45 minutes. And then at a certain point, she just said, this is making me uncomfortable. Can we change the subject? Because mm. I was basically just asking her question after question. Why right. this? Why that? Why are they doing it this way? None right. of it was logical. None of it was following conventional health guidelines. Right. Um, it was you know, just pointing out the propaganda, pointing out the puppet strings. And it was just too painful for her because she had just gotten her five-year-old injected the week before and she was lined up for her booster. And, you know, everyone she knows and loves um, has gotten injected. Um, and, you know, she's completely immersed in everyone completely believing the narrative. So for her to see someone that she knows and, you know, loves and trusts, have a completely different perspective. It sure. was just like, it, it really was too much for her to bear. And, you know, I tried to share some resources with her afterwards and she was, you know, she never really responded. Although, you know, she was quiet for a while. And I said, are you still talking to me? I texted mm -hmm. her and she said, yes, you know, we're forever friends. I just haven't had a chance to review the materials, but you know, that was two and a half years ago and she's still, as far as I know, not there. So it's just, you know, and Meredith Miller, I've been doing a dissident dialogue with her and she, you should have her on your show. She's incredibly brilliant. She's a holistic coach, but she really understands the psychology of Stockholm syndrome and what she calls a psycho neurospiritual state of captivity. Hmm. And so I've learned from her that really there's nothing we can do to force someone to wake up. Um, we can plant the seeds, we can make the information available, but it's something they have to come to internally to be willing to open their eyes. Um, otherwise, any if we try to force them, they're just going to resist more. Yeah, no, that's, and that's, it's a, and there's normalcy bias and people like, uh, I know in my family, they, first of all, they, they were used to hearing me rant and rave at parties and stuff for a long time. <laughs> That's all I did. So this is nothing. It's just, I'm doing it now. People are actually listening and yeah. I, I'm writing and, you know, people are actually reading. So, um, that's maybe they can't handle that or something cause they've heard all this before. And so I think they, anybody that knows me, it would have been predictable to know how I would react to COVID. Yeah. I mean, I think they would have been shocked if I had gotten vaccinated, if I believed, because I, you know, from the very instant, and that's my book, Master the Truth, what difference, it, and I noticed you uh, interviewed uh, my friend, Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf wrote the foreword to my book, Survival of the Riches, oh, and, nice. uh, and she's, and she's, and she's, you know, really blown up in this world, ironically, because, you mm -hmm. know, when she, we first talked, uh, I was this conspiracy theorist, and she's, you know... I still don't know why she was canceled by the left. I don't really understand it, but she, I wrote a piece called In Defense of Naomi Wolf years mm -hmm. ago when she was uh, sandbagged by that BBC reporter when she wrote a, a really woke book. I mean, it was, it was, you know, about defending the, the homosexuals that were in prison in the 1800s. I don't, I don't know how that got her in trouble with the left, but somehow it did. And they, they took a, a, one of the things she, she misunderstood a term that I would have misunderstood the same way. And her editors didn't catch it. And her editors at uh, 
Random House or wherever it was, they threw her right under the bus. Yeah. They didn't stand for it. So it was, it was terrible. And uh, so I wrote the piece, uh, you know, I thought it was unfair. That could I, you know, and she loved it. Was, it was on Lou Rockwell. So she liked who we both are. Yeah. Uh, yeah you are. I see, I see you on, on Lou Rockwell too. I love Lou. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's great. So he, um, so because of that, we talk, but still, you know, I think she was, she realized, God, this guy's completely different because he's, you know, he's a JFK guy, 9-11, all these people. And she was a pretty mainstream yeah. liberal. I mean, she was, you know, re reviewed in the New York Times and all that stuff that I would never be. But now she's, you know, kind of in our world, yeah. uh, which, which is amazing. So it's nice that you talk to her. I should have her back on the, on the show. I haven't talked to her for a while. Yeah, but, yeah. I'm sure she'd love to discuss her new book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So she's, um, but- you know, the uh, the, th the difference with her book, the body, I went to her book launch party here at the Willard Hotel in D.C. She invited me to that, uh, I guess, last year, year two, a year or two ago. But um, that's why I met Peter McCullough and because she was there and uh, Peter Mavaro was there and I had them on my show later, too. So it was really cool to be invited mm -hmm. to that. But um, I've lost my train of thought. Why was I bringing that? Oh, yeah. Because so when I wrote Masking the Truth, though, her book and Peter McCullough's book, RFK Jr.'s book on Fauci. Uh, what's the guy? That I, I can't. Alex Berenson, you know who Tucker Carlson. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, all but so but all those people, I think they they start pretty much at point C or something. They start with the vaccine. Yeah. And they assume there was something there. And my book is the only one I know of where I started point A, and I talk about what was in China. I don't believe mm -hmm. in the lab leak theory. What what was right. in China? What was going on? Why was a woman walking around spitting on doorknobs supposedly? And you know, people weren't dropping dead in the streets. All the fear porn we heard right. out of there. And then in right. Italy, the same kind of thing. You had the fake photo of the coffins coming out that was from another part of the world. Yep. All the, so, and then I talk about the empty hospitals. I talk about the dancing nurses who are back, by the way. You know, the dancing nurses are back, and shockingly enough, they're not dancing for 9/11 truth or free speech or to, uh, to stop war. They're dancing for climate change. How about that? <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? So I, I don't know, but that's so that's what difference for mine. I don't know if you if you believe uh, if you doubt COVID itself too, as I do or not. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Right, right. Um, well, from the beginning, I have actually focused on the propaganda aspect of this because to me, this is completely artificial um, from top to bottom. Um, and whether or not there is a specific SARS-CoV-2, you know, virus, or if it's just a variation on flu or whatever, that almost is irrelevant to me um, because with a 99.7% survival rate for the majority of the population, it effectively is just another flu, common cold with some, you know, extra symptoms thrown in. And so... I've never really wasted time on the lab origin theory or, you know, arguing about that because my overriding focus is to stop totalitarianism and democide. And yes. those academic arguments do nothing to prevent totalitarianism from advancing. And so, you know, other people, I don't really care what their opinion is on it or not, you know, <laughs> as long as they're, you know, pro-freedom, anti-tyranny, and want to join me in stopping 
you know, the lethal injections, basically, Um, you know, I'll join hands with them. Um, You know, as far as I'm, I'm very much in alignment um, on many issues with Mike Eden and Denis Rancourt, and they do not believe there was a, an actual specific, you know, SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, And Denis uh, research. I don't know if you have looked into his excess mortality. No, but I, I, I'm very, I'm very familiar with my, Mike Eden, and I, I'd love. I've tried to. Get, I don't know how to contact him. I'd love to have him on the show. He's, he's. Uh, I mentioned him many times in my book. Yeah, very yeah. Good. Mike is wonderful. Um, he's been very limited in the number of his podcasts that he's been doing. Um, but yeah, uh, he he may be open to it, or I, I'll, I can see for you. But anyway, um, Denis Rancor is has done this groundbreaking all-cause mortality and excess mortality research this is really something he is you know deeply familiar with as a researcher and has been doing this for years mm-hmm. and so you can use the mortality data which is completely objective all countries have to report this it doesn't have anything to it doesn't say this was a covid death or anything like that it's completely disassociated from the causes of death which we know were massively manipulated in terms of the death reporting so going with the excess mortality data is the most objective way to analyze um, how many people have actually just simply died and then how many above and beyond the expected level there were. And specifically, he and his team have looked at, at how many people have died in direct relationship to the rollout of the vaccine, the booster, you know, and, and it's just absolutely amazing that you see the spike in deaths in all these different countries um, right after the rollout. And so he is able to very convincingly tie um, approximately 17 million deaths to the injection. Well, and they're, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say earlier, somebody in the chat room called you a cutie, by the way. I don't know if you missed that. I, I put it up on the screen. <laughs> I'm but, not seeing any of the chat. So, so you got that going for you. But uh, Houston, <laughs> Houston uh, asked you, curious about her thoughts on directed energy. I have a lot of people that talk about directed energy. Um, yeah, um, that's not something I have specifically researched. It's It absolutely would not surprise me <laughs> if the mm-hmm. government governments are using that to manipulate weather to cause um quote unquote natural disasters yeah, Hawaii, Hawaii, yeah i mean yeah. there's so much suspicious you know around maui you know that's very likely um, that was involved but um not having researched or written about it i don't you know, I don't tend to speak about things with confidence unless I have really, I, I dive very deeply into pretty much everything I write about. And anyone who has read my um, essays at Substack will see almost every word is yeah. hyperlinked to supporting evidence yeah. because I really, I'm not just, you know, writing off the top of my head and saying, take my word for it. This is my opinion, you know, my opinion, and this is what you should believe. I'm saying these are the conclusions I've done. I'm showing my homework and you can take a look at some of the resources I've used to help inform that decision and decide for yourself. Well, you do, you do a great job of it. And uh, I've, I, I put a few pictures up and I, I need to do, cause you, I need to put more graphics and stuff because you do a good job of that. It makes it look better. But I, <laughs> I got to ask you, um, 
because your your uh, logo or whatever is Alice, you know, <laughs> Alice Wonderland. And I, you know, I looked at your favorite authors. We have a lot of them in common. And uh, I love uh, Lewis Carroll, uh, Charles Dodson, and I am fascinated by his life. And uh, I, I think that's just an incredible work because it's it was written in the 1850s or whatever. And it's uh, it's still very applicable today. It's not it's not aged at all because he was in a you know imaginary world. But uh, do you think things are getting curiouser and curiouser? And do you because uh, we're we're at the stage now? I, I compare it all the time with the trials of Trump, and people mistake me all the time. I call him Trumpenstein, and you need to read my <laughs> Trumpenstein project because I think he's he's a, a creation to divide the country, and and that's uh. what I think. For, Everybody hates him. I'm a Trump agnostic. We're the smallest uh, minority group in the world. Yeah, I and, think we're on the same page. I called him an unwinning Goldstein. In my yeah, well, yes, yes, yes I've called him that too. He's Emmanuel mm -hmm. Goldstein. That's what mm -hmm. he is, except for the two minute hate. Yeah, have the twenty four seven hate. Yeah, and uh, but the prosecutions that they're subjecting this guy to. Uh, and again, I don't think anything's going to happen to him because I think he's an actor. But it's symbolically what it represents to us, but we're at the stage, aren't we? Was it, was it the red quit or whoever was in the courtroom where they, they you know, and, and Alice in Wonderland where they said, uh, um, sentence first verdict afterwards. Are we at that stage? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're there, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, considering how many of the courts are bought and the judges are owned and, you know, they're yeah. just voting or, you know, basically arbitrating based on ideological lines and, you know, so, Soros has really dedicated himself to reforming the the justice system by getting so many prosecutors on his payroll, essentially, and, you know, funding yes. their campaigns. So they, you know, we have so much corruption in, in the justice system. And we certainly have, you know, gone beyond <laughs> Wonderland in terms of clown yes. world and things being completely upside down. Um, and people's perceptions not matching reality no it, but so and i don't know what you i think you have have you written books or do you write fiction do you write do you, so I, I just look at your uh, you know what your reading list was and i imagine you must have at least tried fiction have you been published other than substack um yeah so i mentioned earlier um i my fairy, my dystopian fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's the vapor, the hot hat, and the witch's potion. And that was just something that kind of poured out. And I published it at my Substack, and it got a very strong response. And I think it's because I was um, essentially framing what was happening and what is going to happen if we don't stop it in a fictional setting. Mm -hmm. And so it was much easier for people to see the simple, like, you know, the emperor has no clothes, you know, right. going back to fairy tales throughout history, they are used to reveal the truth in very accessible ways. And so I had people yeah. tell me they were able to share that with people in their family who would not read a nonfiction article about COVID, but they were open to reading and listening to that. And so I just self-published a book of that um, using illustrations from the, I have these stock illustrator that's, that I typically use. And I just found the, when I was working on the story, when I went to look for the illustrations, it was like they were made for the story. And so mm -hmm. it just kind of all came together very quickly. You know, I haven't done, you know, very much in terms of marketing it. Um, I don't, I haven't looked into distribution. I just kind of put it up on Amazon and a number of people have bought it and appreciated it. And some people buy it directly and I 
can do signed copies if people are interested in that. Um, and then I, my essays have appeared in um, several collections, my essays in poetry. So I don't know if you've heard of COVID in a Canary World, um, but that's a collection of 34 essays by what they call thought leaders. It's a nice um, title. So are you you in that or is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my the first essay I wrote, which is a primer for the propagandized fear is the mind killer, um, appears in that collection. And I it's a really wonderful group of um, dissident writers, scientists, doctors, journalists, just um, so I feel proud to be associated with, with them and with that book. And then um, I don't know if you know Dr. David Cartland, but he mm -hmm. put a co poetry collection together mm -hmm. called A Doctor's Despair. And um, he has several of my poems in there, including what I'm most known for, which is Mistakes Were Not Made. And in the yes, introduction, yeah. he said that that poem actually helped inspire him to put this collection together. Um, so that was really nice to see. And, and these are just, you know, doctors and some are, you know, professional writers and poets and others are just regular people expressing their um, observations about COVID and their the emotional pain they've gone through and the, you know, censorship, all the things that, you know, dissidents have suffered during these past four years and they're putting that in poetry. And so um, I th have three poems in that piece. And then I basically... Um, have I do plan to put my um, essays together in one or more books and have been in um, communication with my pretty much the only publisher I would consider working with there too. But I really like um, the senior editor, the one that I've been in communication with for a long time. And she's been just incredibly patient with me because I'm really just always so busy writing new content that it's hard for me to go back and put together my old content into an organized way. It really doesn't, shouldn't take that much time, but um, I do, one of my goals for this year, my New Year's goal, my only one, is to get my book together um, and hopefully work with this publisher because I do really like them and they're ethical and they write, they publish books that I respect. Well, yeah, you're obviously, you have a literary bent. What is, do you mind me asking what the publisher is that you trust? Um, Chelsea Green. That's and, uh, that's Naomi's new publisher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah. 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 Naomi, Naomi had to go there. I, yeah. Okay. So she likes her, I guess. And I, uh, but yeah, that's, that's cool. I, I, yeah. uh, I haven't tried them because I, I have these two novels that I think are the best things I've written and they're just sitting there and I can't get anybody to read them. You know, uh, I, mm -hmm. I have an agent that's a friend of mine and calls me uh, fascinating all the time, but apparently not fascinating enough for her to read my work. And uh, <laughs> so I so said, I can't be that fascinating if you won't read my work. But uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for something like that. I'll have to talk to you mm -hmm. about that later. But um, so when you when you you know became obviously with COVID, you became even more radicalized like I, I did as if that's such a thing is even possible. <laughs> but, like, I don't know how that's possible. But like I said, I, I, if they do institute the Chinese social credit score, I'd, I'd like to see anybody who's going to have a lower score than me. But uh, maybe there will. I don't know. But I, I, I have my you know, I, I think it's going to be hard to beat. But. <laughs> Did you, were you in the, uh, were you able to exist in the working world? Are you still existing in the working world or are you kind of just, you're doing your own thing? Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate in that my husband and I, you know, pretty much have our, our own freelance business and that we were, you know, do website development, writing, editing, graphic design, things like that. So we were 
independent of the system. Good. So mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of the same pressures that people who were employed have. So I was really grateful that I had kind of escaped that <laughs> like about a decade before. Um, and now, you know, I, I pretty much do this, you know, my Substack work like 99% of the time. So I don't really do, you know, very much client work anymore at all. Um, but I, because it's really hard when I, when I found my purpose and I just, I want to spend every single waking second writing and working to defeat tyranny and stop genocide. So mm. it's really hard to, to work on things that seem more trivial by comparison, even though, you know, financially we've definitely taken a hit, um, you know, from doing this transition from client work to, um, you know, my Substack work, but it's absolutely worth it. So. Yeah, you have to, because if you, if you put yourself out there, like we do, uh, where, you know, thousands of people read it. Um, we're, I, I, I've made myself unemployable. Right. And you have too, I'm sure. Right. So, and that's the point is that everybody's going to look, well, you know, you've got, we've got, it's not just one post or something. This is everything you've written for, not to, in my case, I have books too. So I have, <laughs> I have all this stuff and podcasts for years. And, and uh, so uh, it's, it would be impossible for me to do anything else. So that's why I'm, I'm, uh, Hoping anyway, and I tell you guys out there, and certainly I'm going to want you to, talk, to give your uh, your Substack address out too. But please, if you want to support me, it's the only place I'm not shadow banned. Donald Jeffries at Substack.com. I protest just like the show. And what's your Substack, Mary? Margaret? Um, uh, MargaretAnnaAlice.com will take you there. Um, okay, so, so you have your version. website, yeah. Yeah, that's because mm -hmm. uh, you know we have to support dissident voices, and uh, you have to support each other, and that's. Uh, a lot of times that doesn't happen. There's a lot of competition. If you're, yeah. I don't know how deep you are in the, cause you know, I've, I've the JFK, 9-11, Oklahoma city. I mean, all these things I'm familiar with the UFOs, all that stuff. So I don't know if you're, if you're, if you've ex experienced any of that, or you're just kind of in your own former progressive turned, uh, you know, civil libertarian or whatever. I don't, or, or yeah. You, yeah. I'm, I'm in a way I've actually kind of always been all skeptical of official narratives. And it, I was just thinking back recently, I think it, it was kind of funny because I'd forgotten about this, but I think it was in 10th grade. I did a book report on The Unseen Hand. I don't know if you know that book, um, yeah. but it, it it's going into um, conspiracy theories that I don't even remember, like things about teapot dome scandal which mm -hmm. I don't remember what that is anymore. <laughs> yeah. well, nobody talks about that as well as right, the right. Harding administration. They did knock Harding off though. That probably right, is why right. somebody did. Yeah. But I just, I did this you know, incredibly thorough report on it and, you know, got an A plus on it. But I just thinking back, I thought, you know, if anybody had done that these days, a student writing about these conspiracy theories, they would have been vilified, ostracized. And, you know, I just, I wrote, I found it interesting. I wrote about it and moved on, but, you know, I've always been, um, you know, anybody who's paid any attention to the JFK assassination, you know, you've got to be <laughs> kidding. If you think you believe, if you believe the official narrative, uh, yeah. you know, Bill Hicks, I'm a big fan of Bill Hicks. And, yes, 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 <laughs> you know, he of course was very passionate about the JFK mm -hmm. assassination. So and, do you think he became Alex Jones? You know, that's the conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what they I don't believe, believe that one, no. Yeah, really, of course, I don't even, I'm saying that's what, that's, that's a, you get lots of great things. You have, uh, what's the one, uh, uh, 
Barbara Bush, uh, her real father was Aleister Crowley. That's another <laughs> good one. And yet, if you look at these, it's like, okay, I don't know, maybe. And of course, there's a whole substrata that I run into all the time now where uh, every, these people, my son is, my son's the only one in, in my family that is in my world. Mm. He's the only one. I think he's, he, I think he had to work yesterday, but otherwise he's, he's the only one who listens to my show all the time. But uh, he's really into this thing that uh, so many people are about uh, the conspiracy where uh, Hollywood is fooling us, where all the celebrated women are really men and lots of the celebrated men are really women. And this was before the whole transgender thing. So I, I, I don't even understand it. I say, come on. I mean, I've had people say Marilyn Monroe was a male. It's like, oh, my God. I, I say, you know, well, it's they did a great job if that's the case. But, you know, I, I you can do that. But so that's the problem is you do run into that. And then in the JFK thing, I've gotten more. And there are people that support me a lot on Substack who I'm grateful for. And I don't want to argue with them. But there's more and more people that, like, think Jackie pulled the trigger and shot JFK. What? Yeah, it, it wasn't enough. That one before. Yes, it's the newest thing. It's it was it wasn't enough that the driver did it. Bill Greer, who their driver was part of the conspiracy because he stopped and let it happen. Right. But uh he didn't follow protocol, but you know, I, I tell people, you know. And then I I've, I've had a guest on my show that thought George H.W. Bush was a gunman in the Dallas Records. I said, "Do you really think they would have they wouldn't have hired somebody, you know, <laughs> <laughs> more, I mean, he, he was the son of a senator at that time. It's not like he was, uh, you know, so a mafia hitman or something. So that's the problem. Is you get, I, but I entertain everything. So people, yeah, that, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, so okay, here we get to okay. Well, you see, you're going to get the questions here, but these, these might not be in your area. John Bassinger said, Ask her about building seven if she even knows about it. What about building seven? Mark? <laughs> well, you know, I actually haven't gotten that deeply into 9 11 and but of course, what I have been exposed to, I, you know, in fact, the very morning it happened, um, my husband and I just immediately knew it was a false flag. Um, we were actually listening to NPR on the way to work. And uh, when they said the first plane flew into the building, he said, what did they do? And it's like, you know, and all of the, you know, evidence that has come out since then and architect architects against 9-11 all of that oh yes um you know it's it's so in a way so incredibly clear that it was um a false flag intended to usher in the war on terrorism and they had all of the um you know documents already prepared to immediately um sign and and disseminate and impose this new um era that really in a way was the beginning of what they accelerated during COVID. And, you know, the the terrorism was wearing off. So then we had to have this new public health scare that no one can control. It's not, you can't pinpoint it to a certain person. And so it's always in the ether and you have the fear and you're able to get people to relinquish their freedoms and rights um, for this um, completely phantom, frightening bogeyman. (laughs) Well, and, and that's what, you know, for people like uh, me, that and, and uh, you you sound like you're on board the two, but if you've been studying these things for years, and that's why we, we come to where we are now, that there is no reason for anybody to trust the authorities. That's why I have more and more people that uh, I have so many anarchists that, uh, you know, were, were fans of mine early on. And, uh, I you know, I was never an anarchist, but I have no argument for them anymore. Right. Right. Because what what authority is there that's worth respecting? I I don't know. I I don't know of any. And I mean, yeah. 
I mean, the police, you know, I mean, your, your, your <laughs> local school board. I mean, there's, there's, who, who is, would it be? Maybe, I don't know, maybe your librarian. I, I don't know, but that's not really an authority. There's yeah, but really... librarians are the ones censoring now, as you pointed out earlier. Well, yes, they're they're certainly censoring uh, my book, Massing the Truth. That's for sure. They're censoring, but they want gender queer and things like that in there. Right. Yeah, that's what right. I'm they're, they're, <laughs> I say. I, when I see the left, they say we're against book banning. I say, you know, you wait a minute. You you don't. You're against certain political books. Right. But you want books that have graphic depictions of. And it's always grown men with with young boys, right, right. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, and and young boys will be reading that. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand that. How is it? But, and that's why anybody doesn't believe in conspiracy. You got to explain that kind of stuff, right? Because right. I don't. Would a normal educator think that? Why would a normal educator? I was reading today where a kindergartner, a kindergarten teacher. And he was a male kindergarten teacher, which is not too many of those, but uh, he, he was regardless. And, uh, and and he said he objected to what he called the woke. They had a, a course called woke kindergarten or something like that. Whoa. And, <laughs> and one of, like the titles were like, what you, what you, what you doing or something like, you know, like completely grammatically incorrect. And I'm thinking, what, what are <laughs> educators doing? Are, are they trying to start kids in kindergarten? with being, you know, not being able to speak the language correctly. I mean, I, I, I don't know what your, uh, I'm a community college background, a, a dropout. I don't know what your, uh, you know, educational background is, but this, the educational world is, how can anybody really trust that really at this right. point? Right. Right. Um, yeah. I haven't, I'm an, was an English major and I have a BA um, and I feel grateful that I kind of, I would, I was in college in the nineties. And so like late nineties is when I graduated, but I, I feel like I escaped the heavy duty indoctrination that really started happening in the two thousands. And then 2010 is I think when the wokeism kicked off really intensely. Um, and so I feel like when I went to college, the emphasis was still on, you know, the books, the literature, um, you know, there was the scent of postmodernism in the air, but I actively veered away from that um, and was focusing on, um, you know, reading <laughs> itself and not mm. theory about reading and all the um, silliness that obfuscates the, the actual literature itself. Yeah. And yeah. so, but it is so clear that um, the education system from preschool, really, through um, PhD programs is a completely an indoctrination system. And um, I don't know if you've read Jacques Ellul's, um Propaganda, but mm. I highly, highly recommend everyone read it. I'm listening to the audiobook right now, and it's like I want to mark every single sentence practically. And one of the things he talks about, and this was published in 1962, um, but one of the things he talks about is how um, governments essentially realized they need to start indoctrinating people, you know, as soon as they practically come out of the womb, really. Yeah. Um, and so they're immersed in this ideology. And, you know, he gave the example of if you when a government wants to start a war, you have to convince people to basically sacrifice their lives for these lies. And so it it's a lot harder to convince adults who are critical thinkers 
to go along with the propaganda, the war propaganda. But if you start indoctrinating them from youth and um, jingoism and patriotism and why you must give your life for your country and that sort of thing, it's much easier to manipulate them when they come of age and it comes time to throw them into the war juggernaut. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's what they want good citizens. Obviously, they want to. Well, they, well in, the, in the past, the schools wanted good citizens in a different way where they taught civics. Right. They haven't done that for decades. Now they want citizens of the state. They want obedience. Say, and apparently, they're, and they're just trying to, they're introducing so many. I, I don't care what any adult does, but it's, it's ridiculous when you, when you introduce these poisonous concepts, you know, this, 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 uh, you know, this transgender confusion when they're so little, they don't even know what a gender is. Right. And, and by the way, am I the only one that says, how can someone, how can a child consent to changing their sex when they can't legally have sex? Right. And you could point. still be arrested. I mean, if you can't consent to sex, how do you, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling what, yeah. what, what we're allowing yeah. to happen. But that, and it's, that's the left today. That's not our left. Yeah, it's psychological and emotional abuse of children, and using them as political um, tools, really. Yeah, no, it, it, and you know the uh, the idea that again the left that I remember, you know, back in the dinosaur era, you know, when I was a teenager, and and uh, you know, coming of age, and I, I was, uh, it, it was. It was you know, you had a lot of libertarianism on there because we had a thing called victimless crimes. Do you remember victimless crimes? And, uh, right. people like, you know, and uh, I don't even think anybody knows what that is anymore, but that's people like me where, you know, we wanted to legalize pot, decriminalize yeah. all drugs. Uh, you know, nobody should be punished for any sexual stuff. You know, what, who cares? It's victimless crimes, that kind of thing. But we yeah. didn't envision this. Yeah. We didn't envision that you're going to, you know, ask a kindergartner, well, do you really want to be a boy or a girl? And, and, you know, well, there is a victim there, though. That's not a victimless crime. Right, exactly. Um, so that, that's a real, you know, that's not, but I mean, back then we were thinking of it, these are consenting people that can consent. Right. And, and we were concerned about, again, with the ACLU, ACLU back then, I mean, you, you remember when they had uh, the Skokie, Illinois. Yeah, in, in yeah I referenced that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, I mean, and that that was a, a Jewish lawyer, and I tried to get him on my, it's gold, it's, I forget his name, but he won't do interviews anymore. He's still yeah. around. But I mean, to me, that guy's a courageous guy because these these weren't people. Nowadays, they call the left calls people that well, the right does too. They call people that disagree with Nazis, who aren't saying they're Nazis. Right. But exactly. These people, these people were saying, "Yes, we're Nazis." Yeah. You know, so they're saying we are Nazis. Yes, we're Heil Hitler, and they wanted to, and they were trying to, you know, they wanted to march through a, 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 an openly Jewish area. They were trying to provoke things, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the ACU recognized, okay, we object to this. But we have to support it. So that's right. what that's what it's supposed to mean. Even right. if you object to it, like if they had a group of lone lone nutters that were trying to say Oswald did it, I'd have to defend them. Even right. I know, of course, it's absolutely a big their right to say that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and that's what. Whatever happened to that? I don't understand why people. I know you must run it. Do you get people objecting to you being a free speech purist? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a piece that I published recently called "On Fearing Freedom." Yeah. And I talk about how the uh, propagandists have gradually acclimated the public to the idea that freedom is dangerous. Um, and again, referencing Jacques Alol, he talks about pre-propaganda or sociological conditioning, um, which is essentially 
David uh, Goldberg. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, yeah nudging yeah. the public um, toward this new recalibrated morality or value system in which um, principles that were once held sacred um, are eventually shown to be, you know, vilified essentially because, you know, something like free speech, you can't have free speech in a country or a world where the ministry of truth presents a narrative free speech right. is too much of a danger to their narrative because and that's one of the reasons the internet is such um a danger to them and why big tech um has had to come come in and kind of clamp down on all that dangerous freedom yeah. <laughs> um, but basically we've been gradually conditioned especially with Trump derangement syndrome and everybody saying, oh, well, we can't have Trump or anyone from the right spreading these um, scary ideas. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, yeah, a little some censorship makes sense. And so sure, gradually um, people, you know, relinquish their their freedoms because they think it's yes. the right thing to do. They've been psychologically manipulated yes. into it. Yes. And I, I've told this story before. You may not know it because I I, uh, I learned it when I was writing my book, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776-1963, which Ron Paul wrote the foreword to. So very, very gratified oh, with that. Wow. But um, I learned something when I was writing. I, I probably one millionth of 1% of Americans know this, but we all hear it when they first put the asterisk on free speech was the old, uh, well, you know, you can have free speech, but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. That mm -hmm. came from World War I when Eugene Debs and socialists and other people were uh, protesting World War I. Wilson threw them in prison, which, you know, right. and, and they appealed it to the Supreme Court. Oliver Wendell Holmes, great liberal Supreme Court justice, He's the one who came up with that. He said, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Yeah. And I pointed out many times, protesting a war is not yelling fire in a crowded theater. What are yeah. you talking about? And people, it, it rolls off their tongue. And I said, you know where that came from? And, and they just, they give you a blank look. But now we have this hate speech thing. And oh boy, I, I yeah. hate, hate speech is thought crime. Call it what it is. Yes. But what is hate speech? I mean, hate's an emotion. We all, you can't, who determines that? And they're, Margaret, they're trying to, you know, uh, it, you know, indoctrinate people in this, and they're trying to solidify having hate speech crimes and laws. And everybody on the left, the old left that I used to be a part of, yeah. the, the, the ACLU, even the ACLU, probably believes in hate speech now. I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand that the left is now concerned. It used to be back in the day, there maybe to a fault, they were trying to, you know, they're still finding victims, but they're not really trying to get rights for them. They're mm -hmm. just trying to punish others for supposedly, you know, saying bad things about them or something. But back then it was, you know, we, you remember the seven, the seven things you couldn't say on, uh, on uh, radio and television, George Carlin and things like that. We're talking mm -hmm. about, you're trying to open things up. Now it's the left is exactly the opposite. What did you say? Yeah. You can't oh, absolutely. Stay, right? mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, so what does it even mean to be liberal at this point? Right. Right. Well, I think that's partly that they now are the ones in power. And so before when they were fighting for free speech and, you know, basically our freedoms, it's because they were resisting, you know, say the, the neoconservative government, you know, the Bush administration, things like that. And so they could see how important it was to be able to have freedom to protest for, you know, dissent and to be able to speak freely about opposing opinions. But once they became the ones in power, 
they wanted to lock that down and prevent others from uh, expressing their opposing opinions and critiquing um, their side. And so it really wasn't about the principles themselves, but it was about attaining power. And once that power was attained, they cemented it. Yeah, they absolutely did. And, and now we've, it's, you know, it, it's just ironic that there's, there's nobody ever since, you know, Cynthia McKinney has become a friend of mine, the former member of Congress. And she's, mm -hmm. she's, she was wonderful. And, and, yeah. and Naomi, Naomi Wolf, Cindy mm -hmm. Sheehan's a friend of mine, the Indian world. So, and Kucinich is still kind of good, but uh, that's the left today. Yeah. Jimmy Dore is good, but. Uh, yeah, I love Jimmy Dore. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, where, where is the left? And uh, other than that, it's uh it's so we look to, you know, Tucker Carlson and people on the right, because that's, those are the only people that are questioning this at all. Who on the left is questioning? You, you mentioned Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders lost, lost a lot of people when he didn't even protest himself being, you know, the election being, I mean, he had the, yeah, the emails I mean, documenting what they were going to do and he accepted the Russia nonsense. I know. I know. I was so disappointed and, you know, it, it's, good to be disillusioned you know no, in a way it, because yeah, you see the reality that you know yeah. that you really shouldn't put your faith in politicians you shouldn't put your faith in any leaders and that's why i go back to the people and you know as as long we that's why it's so important that people have free access to information that there's no censorship that they're not indoctrinated into a narrative so they can make educated decisions and use their own critical reasoning faculties to assess the information and make decisions for themselves. And that's why we're in such a dangerous situation right now is people have these blinders on and they don't even know there's an entire world of information outside the walls that they are, you know, corralled into. Well, yeah, and you're exactly right. And I, I, uh, we have to keep in touch because I want to. Uh, you're you're literally. I'd, I'd love to uh, to see some of your fiction, and like, I think you um, uh, you probably could. You know, if, if this is a different word, if this is like I said. I, I always said, you know, I became a published author probably fifty years too late. Because you know, <laughs> fifty years ago, you know, there were a lot more readers. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's, there's the books just you know <laughs> just people, especially young people, they just don't buy it. And that's why Substack is great because you probably have yes. a better chance of, uh, and you get instant. Like I said, I, I get, and I don't have that many paid subscribers, but it's growing yeah. and I'm already making my, you know, more money probably than I'm going to make my books. And that's, and I've got, you know, nine of them. So you, mm -hmm. think, you think that, I, but the people just don't do that. They just don't buy anymore. And, uh, it's, um, it's a frustrating time unless you're one of a handful of authors. It's like everything else in this country where it's everything is just a few people benefit from it. So you have a handful of authors that, you know, Stephen King can put his, you know, his disinfo about the JFK assassination out. And, and there's a guy, boy, he's, he's become, and the TDS stuff, cause you mentioned, it's great. You've, you've kind of overcome your TDS in a way in terms of you recognize what it was, but yeah. it's, uh, it really has infected because so many good people I know I've had people that interviewed me, reviewed my books, used to like me, but they, the ones I didn't lose with Trump initially, because I supported Trump in 2016, uh, the, the initially. And, uh, and then with uh, COVID questioning that I, I lost the rest of them with there, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but they don't, I, I said, you don't, you don't understand. Okay. Just because whatever you think about Trump, he could be as, as evil as you think he is. 
but that doesn't make the CIA good. That doesn't make Joe exactly. Biden good. Yeah, no, I mean, isn't that what we're looking at here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a um, piece called Letter to the Menticided, a 12-step recovery program, and essentially walking through people through the ways in which they have been programmed, brainwashed. Um, I reference the um, work of Juiced Miralu. I highly recommend everyone read his Rape of the Mind. That's another highly illuminating piece. He also wrote Delusion and Mass Delusion. Um, so both of those are excellent for understanding how um, propaganda and, you know, coercion is used to uh, menticide people, which is essentially kill their critical reasoning faculties. <laughs> and, um, you know, of course, television plays a pivotal role. And so um, I think my number two step after they acknowledge that they have a problem, which is number one, is to turn off the television and essentially yes. disengage from all mainstream media. Because mm -hmm. even if a grain of truth seeps through every so often, it's only because that grain of truth serves the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> so everything, they're essentially um, coordinating to construct a manufactured reality that is then used to um, guide you toward, you know, preconceived objectives, just like Edward Bernays outlined very clearly in Propaganda, um, which I think was published, what, 1928? Um, yeah. And also he wrote Crystallizing Public Opinion. Um, these are not secrets. These are, they wrote about exactly how mass persuasion is achieved. Um, the problem is that very few people know that these mechanisms even exist and that public relations firms essentially identify, uh, a, 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 they say, okay, we want the public to start believing this because we want them to be able to accept that we do th this totalitarian measure. So what actions do we need to take to cause the public to change its opinion on this matter. And so really it's about um, mass control, mass persuasion. And so my, you know, 12 step recovery program is helping people see those puppet strings and then sever them. Well, you seem, I don't know what you've recovered from because you seem like you've, uh, <laughs> you've always been kind of uh, like I have, I guess you've never been really a, uh, some of the people that I talked to, they were, uh, yeah, they were leading successful lives and kind of they weren't radical at all. And then something, you know, 9-11 maybe or yeah. even later, I guess I, I, I would count Naomi Wolf along that. I, I don't know yeah. what uh, I don't know. Really, I still really don't know what radicalized her other because I don't know why. I'm trying to bring up another chat room here. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why they. uh why they attacked her so much. I still can't figure that out. Mm -hmm. I've never, I never had a chance to ask her and she probably doesn't want to really dwell on it, but. Yeah. Um, um, my sense is, you know, she wrote the book, I think it's the end of tyranny and what was it? Yeah. 2010. And so she recognized the telltale mm -hmm. signs yes. of a closed system on when as a totalitarian system is advancing all the stages they go through. And so, um, you know, at the time that was being practiced by the Bush, Bush two administration. And so, you know, the left could very easily identify with and accept those principles, but 
she saw the exact same signs in COVID. And when she pointed that out, you know, for them, yeah. it it's just they can't accept that um, their side is capable of doing what they consider the right far right extremists doing. And it's really, and then it gets, that gets back to the horseshoe theory of totalitarianism where, you know, fascism and communism and all of those extremes kind of meet yeah. in the middle. And they, they practice, they have the exact same characteristics when it comes, gets distilled. Well, they, I, and so many people, they don't, they don't know what to call, I guess, uh, they, they don't want to call this. Uh, so many people on the right, they'll call them communists and Bolsheviks even. And, right. uh, uh, and a lot of people call it fascism, Nazis. Well, I don't know what it is, but I mean, we're we're under tyranny. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know what the, the names don't really matter. Exactly. Uh, oligarchy. I, I don't know what you but I mean. These people don't believe in freedom. Right. And they don't believe in, uh, they're swearing to uphold a document they don't believe in. Because they mm -hmm. don't believe in the first, they, at least they don't believe right. in the, the First Amendment. That's for sure. Yeah. They're actively <laughs> trying to destroy the Constitution. <laughs> I well, mean, I feel very fortunate that we live in America and we had um, founding fathers who had the prescience to create a document that was a bulwark against tyranny. And I think the First Amendment and the Second Amendment are what keeps or protects us in a way that other countries don't have the luxury of having. Right. But of course, um, you know, that doesn't stop politicians from trying to chip away at it and trick people into thinking that those are bad things. <laughs> no, and you can't, you can't put, you can't put it like, the, I, I've talked about the, um, the trials of Alex Jones, whatever people want to think of him. And, I, and you know, lots of, I mean, especially in the alternative media, most people don't like him, but, you know, again, I I question Sandy Hook. I've written stuff about that. I don't accuse anybody of anything, but you can't you can't just prosecute somebody because I, I said, you know, you're cheering this on because okay, you're emotionally the children involved, and they've demonized that like they demonized PizzaGate or so. Okay, well, let's say a JFK assassination guy. What if the Kennedy family wanted to start suing all of us because we've harassed them, like mm -hmm. and especially the 9/11 victims' families because. Most of them, uh, not all of them, but most of them seemed to because they got nice funds. Maybe you know that helped or whatever. But they uh, they accept the narrative. But right. what if they wanted to say, "You guys, hey, you know, this is you're you're you know you're bringing up this is hurting me. You're harassing me." So it's right. a very it's a very slippery slope, and people cheered that on. It's like you can't right. you can't do that. And same thing with Trump. I mean, this woman, E. Jean Carroll. I mean, she couldn't remember the year she was raped. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. somebody they could find a, a woman thirty years ago for any of us that said said, "Hey, well, we don't remember the year it happened or anything, and there's no evidence." Right. But and, right. and this is so. I, I think these finds you have to take the personality out of it, and people realize that hey, this and this could come on for you. I don't like. I'm no. I'm no fan of Rudy Giuliani. Right. But he's he's got he's been he's gonna. Have to, I mean, he doesn't have the money, but 140 some million dollars to two poll workers. Because he questioned the process. I mean, this is weird. We're, I don't know what it, I say that present day America, Margaret, is, I don't know what the Soviets are like or the Nazis are like or Mao's China. I don't know all that because we just heard what it was like. Yeah. But we know what this is like. Could right. they have, how much worse could they have been than this? Right, right. 
I mean, I, I've always thought, you know, places like the UK, that's really kind of a frightening place to be writing and working because it's so easy for um, them to slap a libel suit or a slander suit on you or whatever. Um, and then look at places like Germany and like what CJ Hopkins is going through. I don't know. Yeah. If you've been yeah. I, I, re I, re I didn't know about that. I read your thing about it there. Yeah. yeah. Talk, about, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. What, what exactly did he say that he got in trouble? So, um, you know, it's so it really is preposterous for those people who don't know. CJ Hopkins is an absolutely brilliant satirist and everyone should be following his sub stack. Um, hilarious work he did a book his collection of essays his latest one is called the rise of the new normal reich and the book cover um the artwork was designed by a wonderful artist named anthony frida and it just has a um white mask white surgical mask with a very faint swastika on it and the point is to show you know underscore cj's um work that demonstrates how much in parallel the rise of the new normal Reich is to the third Reich. And he's been documenting this from early 2020 and has, you know, you can very clearly see the parallels in terms of, you know, the discrimination against the unvaccinated. And of course, everybody, you know, ha has the vapors when you make, draws these comparisons mm. <laughs> with, um, the third reich or especially the holocaust which cj i will clarify never does he doesn't say what's happening now is like the holocaust he says right. it's like 1930s germany and the rise of the reich um i i actually do make the comparison mm -hmm. with the holocaust um because we are we are witnessing likely the deaths of 17 million people um from this soft um, democide basically that's invisible because it's done through self-injection. But anyway, um, going back to CJ, he has, he did two tweets showing that mask artwork with the faint swastika mm -hmm. and, um, the Berlin state prosecutor filed, uh, basically charged him with relativization of the Holocaust, um, without, any sense of humor or acknowledgement that right. he is critical of the Holocaust and the Nazis, they imply because he had this symbol in this artwork from his book that yeah. he was advocating Nazi ideology. Well, yeah, that, that's and, like and, banning Huckleberry Finn because of the language from Mark Twain, who was right. obviously using it <laughs> in a critical way. And that's where we're at, isn't it? You can't even, no matter what the position is on it, the yeah. word or is, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so um, he did this absolutely brilliant speech um, that he gave at his trial um, and his articles called the verdict. And I think I reprinted it in um, a recent piece, a good day for freedom, truth and justice. Um, but he really exposed the um, hystericalness really of the situ this true living satire of a satirist being put on trial for being critical of Nazi-like Nazi ideology and practices um, and demonstrated the totalitarianism that the state, the new normal Reich he describes, is, <laughs> is exhibiting by persecuting him for thought crimes. Um, but, and he won, but the Berlin state prosecutor has already appealed the decision. So it's like he's stuck in this Kafka-esque trial. 
um, that they could just keep repeating over and over again. It's just ludicrous. Well, they, 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 they I, I, it's sad to see it in other places too, but in America, they're putting so much emphasis into this on I call thought crimes. Yeah. There are, and you see the prosecutors, you mentioned the George Soros prosecutors in the big cities. Look, look at those, those migrants that, and I question that whole thing about the cops because I, I don't understand how fully armed cops can be beaten up. With, I, I, by unarmed, I, I, to me, I don't even understand that, but it doesn't speak highly for them being able to control things. But yeah. regardless, they did beat them and, uh, and they were photographed flipping off the camera and walking by after they were released without bail. And I, I, I don't, how is that possible? And then you had the January 6th political prisoners who committed no violent acts that are sitting in there for three years, denied all due process. Where are the civil libertarians? Right. And where is Trump, you know, taking up their cause? I mean, that's another um, black eye for him. Yeah. And I've had, I've had several of these people on my show devoted a lot of shows to January 6th. I've had Ashley Babbitt's mother, Mickey Whitcoff on Mm -hmm. two times. And uh, she, and just about all of them, they still support Trump. Yeah, and I—that's I, how powerful you know, people. You can't, you know. That's why I don't. And I, so many people that like what I do, they get mad if I say something about you know bad about yeah. Trump. And I, and Me I too. Just, <laughs> it's like, look, I'm saying, look, I I wish he would do with some of the things he says, but he has to do it. He, and you all act like he he wasn't president. He was there for four years. Yeah, he's yeah. been in there. And yeah. he should he should there was a lot of sh- you know uh, shenanigans on, on election night and there are, usually is but it was blatant yeah. but he he handled it in the way he either he's just impossible ego ego you know yeah. egotist that has a 12 year old mentality and it's all about me 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 or he's an act he's trumpet style like I think but regardless they didn't handle it the right way they should have concentrated on hey look this is you know this look at this video here of this you know this box being opened after the other workers leave that kind of stuff but they his personality got in the way. And that's why I call it yeah. the Trump inside project. Cause it always gets in the way. Right. Right. And you know, like any uh, person leader, whatever, I will give them credit where credit do, is due and criticize where criticism is due. And in Trump's case, I will give him credit for initiating the withdrawal from the world health organization, which I think is crucial because that's right. the primary mechanism that's being used to usher in what one world tyranny. But other than that, I just, you know, I'm, I, I can't fathom that he still doesn't realize the vaccines are yes. harming and killing people. And he's Ridiculous. still taking credit for yeah. saving millions of people <laughs> with his beloved bioweapon. And, you know, that that's just as recently as a few months ago. And yeah. it's like his base has been screaming this at him and he still won't acknowledge it. And yeah. some people it's like. The people who love Trump leap over themselves to make excuse after Mm -hmm. excuse after excuse for him. And it's like, you know, just stop fooling yourselves. You know, if you want to vote for him, vote for him. But be honest with yourself about Mm -hmm. his failings, you know, and his, you know, strengths. Well, the, the process is, I mean, and I, people that still think that, uh, I, I mean, I, I think at this point and and the Republicans, Nothing changed since 2020. Not only has there been no reform, but uh, they will prosecute you if you claim there was fraud. So obviously, and in 2022, the midterms, there was like uh, Carrie Lake and maybe prosecuted in Arizona for that. So there, what do you, why do they think that they could possibly Trump's ahead in the polls and stuff? And maybe they'll do that because I think this is all selected, but 
Yeah. I'm I'm hoping for a Trump victory since because the, the only the only thing that I can possibly get out of a positive is the inter- entertainment factor. And wa- wa- <laughs> right. watch watching CNN and MSNBC to be must see TV, be reason to turn them on for the only time. That's the only thing I can get out of it is is that kind of you know, and it doesn't do anything for me except for it's it's you know I would be entertained by it. But that's that's how bad the political situation is that we can't. Is there anything that you see that can? Because I mean, I like RFK Jr. Some things about him, a lot of right. stuff about him. Right. I don't. I don't understand his position in Israel. It's like somebody's holding a gun to his head. He's really over the top with it. Yeah. I, don't, I know. I don't understand that. He lost a lot of people doing that, and yes. I, I don't. I don't because it doesn't fit with the rest of his program. He should exactly. be. He should be sympathetic to the Palestinians. I, so I. I don't understand right. that. What right. do, you, do you do? You like any of these people? Do you like RFK Jr. Or? Um, you know, when RFK Jr. first announced that he was running, I was happy to hear that because even though I don't really participate in the partisan games anymore, because I'm looking at this from a much higher kind of global perspective and focusing on that story, really, um, I knew that he would raise the issue of vaccine harms and you know dangers and specifically COVID tyranny and censorship, and I felt the value of him running came from the ability to bring those issues to the public stage. Now, of course, he's been subjected to censorship and, you know, smear campaigns and all of that. So um, how successful that's been, I don't know, but I think it at least pushed the Overton window a little bit further open on those topics. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, even if, because no matter what happens, and again, you know, people said it's no matter what happens, no one is after the last couple of elections. No, neither side is going to accept the results. Right, exactly. So that's the thing. So half the country now the the uh, the problem is the left is today's left. You know, is uh, they they're financed. You know, they have people behind them that are you know yeah. giving giving them equipment, providing them with bricks and things like that, but. Uh, the right has nothing, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's organic and look what happened after January 6th. They're going to be reluctant to do anything, but right. either way, it's going to be uh, a nightmare in terms of uh, nobody, the country. So what do you think of, because um, there's more and more people talking about secession. There's the thing on the Texas border. I mean, I think they established in 1860 that this is not a voluntary union. So I don't think they're going to let that happen. You know, right. Right. So what, what, I mean, what, cause we really are divided. I, I, I personally, I, we're, there, we're never going to be able to live with people that think there are 57 genders and that men can have babies and just the absolute insanity like that. And want little kids to be able to, in kindergarten, decide, you know, what do you put litter, kitty litter boxes in school bathrooms? They're doing that now. They're literally doing that. It's like, how can we live with those? I, that's that's mad. It's like living letting the inmates run the asylum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I maybe it's because I've dedicated my Substack to what I say, unmasking totalitarianism and awakening the sleeping before tyranny triumphs. Um, I have this probably crazy optimism that if people can begin to see that what you know the propaganda and see through it and see how they've been manipulated that maybe they can come to their senses and we can you know reason toward some kind of um rational (laughs) 
way of living together um, and free ourselves from the shackles of the propagandists. Um, now I realize that is overly optimistic um, given yeah. how deeply indoctrinated and brainwashed so many people are. Yeah. But in times throughout history, when we've seen um, periods of mass hysteria, people do eventually as Charles McKay says, regaining oh, their popular senses. delusions and the madness of crowds. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> one by come back to their senses yeah. one by yeah. one. Mm -hmm. So they go crazy in crowds, but then they regain their senses one by one, which of course takes a much longer time. But once we kind of reach a critical mass and the reality starts becoming clear to enough people like 20% or more, it starts, I think eventually it's harder and harder for people to sustain their delusions and eventually they kind of just fade away and so and also when people have to experience like harsh realities and war and things that they are they're really suffering all of these superficial causes and ideological um you know splinter issues just disintegrate because then they're having to deal with the hard truth of say a famine or you know food shortages water shortages all of these things that you know the wef is working to um orchestrate <laughs> so people will begin um you know sacrificing more and more of their um belongings and freedoms but i think once you know people you know i go back to the frank zappa quote about, um, you know, when the illusion of democracy falls mm -hmm. away, you're, mm -hmm. you know, they take yeah. away the uh, chairs and the curtain and you see the brick wall at the back of the theater. Yeah. And so I think we're getting closer and closer to being able to see that brick wall. And then once yeah. enough people who are brainwashed kind of start sliming their head into their that brick wall, maybe we can um, liberate them from the menticide that is keeping them enslaved. Absolutely. Hello to O.R. Busy in the UK and uh, William Hale. Good to see you from the land down under. If the flat earthers out there, you're hanging on by the bottom of your feet, I guess. So hang on tight. Uh, good to see you guys here. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's uh there's, you know, there's a good 70 to 80 million, however many people voted for Trump. Th those are the people that are awake to some degree. I mean, right. uh, the, the problem is they're, most of them are still putting their trust in Trump, right? but there are awake. So what happens? Trump is, you know, 77 or whatever he is. Uh, we don't know, you know, he's overweight, you know, who knows, but, but at, at some points, what comes after Trump, because there's no heir apparent. And these people have put so much into the cult of personality into Trump's personality, but they know it's because, you know, if the border just keeps getting overrun and nothing's done there and it's, it doesn't look like anything's going to be done there. Um, continue to have troops in 150 countries around the world. And uh, it looks like we're going to continue getting these, uh, you know, battles everywhere. The infrastructure is still untouched after 60 years. All, all this stuff that people know about now, never mind the conspiratorial stuff. And, uh, yeah. but they, they understand this stuff's right there. What can, uh, at some point, they have to, I mean, will they just all, will they all become anarchists? Like, uh, you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> I mean, how can? Because you know, I get so many people saying, "Stop paying taxes and stuff." I'd like to know how to do that. I don't want right. to. I'm again, 
power in numbers. We're scared. Yeah, to exactly. because we, You know, we don't want to. So what, what, what do you think is going to happen to those 80 million people that, especially if Trump doesn't get elected uh, or selected, uh, if, if he's not in there, uh, I don't know what they're going to do because they can't. This is an intolerable situation. I mean, you know, the founders were upset with stamp and stamps and tea and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, right. This is this is real. It was a series of uh, unalienable, a series of unending events or something. Thomas Jefferson talked about that all with the same purpose. Oh, yeah. We have. We have that here. So yeah. when will people, uh, you know, I don't know, revolt for lack of a better word? Um, well, I think as long as they're comfortable, as long yeah. as they're being fed, as long as they can continue working, people are too complacent to resist or rock the boat. Um, you know, and I don't want to see any kind of violent revolution. Um, Yeah. For me, I, I always go back to what I wrote about in my second essay, which is called COVID is over if you want it. And I referenced Etienne de la Boite's The Politics of Obedience. And he basically says, you do not need to place your hands on the tyrant to topple him. You merely need to withdraw your support and the Colossus will come crashing down of its own accord. And so that's why I always go back to mass peaceful non-compliance, um, why I love what the Canadian truckers did and what yeah. European farmers are now doing, um, starting with the Dutch and French and then all the Italians. And it's spreading all over the world. And especially because, you know, the truckers and the farmers are our lifelines really, because they are the human beings who enable us to survive if we aren't, um, you know, self-independent by, you know, having our own garden and things like that. But, you know, almost everybody relies on them to survive. And so having them on our side, being willing to risk their livelihoods and stand up against tyranny is incredibly encouraging. And I just want to see that keep spreading. And as the rest of the population realizes how much totalitarianism has encroached and how much worse it's, they're really trying to make it and using the cloak of climate change in order to take more and more away from us. Um, My hope is that they, you know, the rest of the people will gradually will wake up and start joining in this mass peaceful non-compliance, which may be nothing more than just not supporting the politician, not voting for the politicians who enable this, not purchasing from the corporations that are funded by BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street and practicing ESG. You know, of course, that's almost every single corporation. So it's Mm. pretty challenging to avoid that. But just making more and more people aware of the um, entities that are enslaving them and then have empowering them to step away from those. My hope is that that will help restore some of our freedoms. Well, we can, we hope, you know, we, we still have a half hour. Can you stay? Can you stay? Yeah. Or, or, mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to make sure you didn't have anything going on for it. Uh, 
But um, you guys have any questions in the chat, throw it up here. But um, yeah, I, it's fascinating to talk to someone like you because there, there aren't, uh, again, there aren't many of us because uh, most people I've, I get called a white nationalist. I get called all kinds of things is the way I talk. Cause I, you know, I, 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 there is a great replacement and I, I, I'm tired. I'm, you know, I'm tired of, you know, tell, being beaten over the head for being white. I had nothing to do with it. You know, right. it's ridiculous. So it's stupid. Right. And it's, uh, you know, it's, people don't remember the civil rights movement and, uh, you know, the civil rights movement was built around sit-in demonstrations and, uh, um, you know, objecting to not being able to go to restaurants. And and now you have the left cooking, kicking uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders out of a restaurant. And, and, and the owner did that. And yeah. the, the left applauded it. It's like, yeah. I, I saw so many people on Twitter saying she can, here's the place that she could eat cracker barrel and all this. I mean, just think back then if they, if they, if the right had said, here's where they can eat, you know, watermelon palace or, you know, something like that. I mean, yeah. it's the exact same thought process. Right. Right. Said, yeah. How do you, I mean, I don't, and it's, it's really the same kind of thing with the, the Russian thing. You see Rachel Maddow and the people like that, and they're talking about uh, Tucker Carlson's, uh, you know, a Putin, a Putin uh, apologist or a Putin agent and every Trump's a Russian, everybody's Russia, Russia, Russia. That's exactly what they said back then, but it was the right saying. I, yeah. How, how, how can, they don't have any sense of history and realize they're doing the same thing? No. No, that's, that's the problem. Um, you know, the people who are ideologically captured have lost their sense of humor, um, have forgotten history, um, have had their memories essentially overwritten by the narrative and whatever they've been implanted with, you know, whatever the latest programming is, the current thing. And it's like they... And, and this is another thing Alul talks about is people can't handle ambiguity. And so when they get this information overload and this chaos, and Meredith Miller talks about this as well, it's like this hypnotic state of induction. And so you people cling to simple black and white clear um, answers, which the propagandists, you know, they create the chaos, they create the confusion. And when people are panicking and they want that um, life preserver, um, they'll cling to whatever the propagandists provide as the answer, the solution, the truth, quote unquote. And so, yeah, I, I, that's, that's the challenge we're facing is just waking people up to the fact that they are being emotionally and psychologically manipulated. Now, Zen 87 says on there, do you guys think that it will come to the point where we will have to be re-educated? I mean, Hillary Clinton has suggested something like that. And I, I got to tell you, if I, if I was still in IT and I was in the, the regular working world, I hadn't been drummed out of there and forced to become a lowly played full-time writer. Um, I, I, they would, that would probably come to that. Cause I, I would have been, you know, I would have not been wearing my mask at work. I would have been caught talking about what a psyop it was. I would have been fired probably a hundred <laughs> times, but I couldn't exist in this world today because it, right. it, it so they would have to re-educate me. Are they, they going right. to do, maybe they'll bring back electric shock for us or what, what do you think they're <laughs> going to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, what I would like to see is people to be uneducated. <laughs> in yes. other words, yeah. have all those yeah. illusions flushed from them. And I would love to see a propaganda, propaganda literacy movement really um, where people educate themselves about 
how propaganda and sociological conditioning work so they can then learn to identify the telltale signals and see through it when the propagandists are trying to use that against them. Yeah, because it's it's a uh, thank you, Hope and Despair. Great show. Uh, yeah, it's it's because they're and it's so refreshing to to talk with you because there's so few people that I, I get, you know, I'm one of these people. I don't get excited about anything that anybody says, no matter what it is. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter. I, I can't say, well, you can't say that. You, or you can't. You can say that, but you can't say that. That's going too far. Right. No, right. You can't. What does that mean? And because you're putting who's to decide but you can't. So, so and, and people, I, I don't understand that, even though I disagree with it. You know, these people, right. I, I don't want to, I don't want to shackle Rachel Maddow as ridiculous right. as I think she is, but I, I don't want somebody saying, well, she has to be fired because of something she says. I mean, maybe she should be fired because she's <laughs> not any good to begin with, but I mean, I, <laughs> well, I mean, outright I mean, lying is, is, um, yeah, yeah. Dangerous. And technically um, the government used to be prohibited from using propaganda techniques against the public and under Obama, I believe it was in um, yeah, yeah. 2012, basically changed that. And so now, you know, the CIA, the FBI, they can all use these mind manipulation techniques against the public without impunity. Um, and there used to be, you know, protections in place for that. And that I is where I would draw the line because when you have the ability to use these mass communication mechanisms to control people's perception of reality on mass, basically, then it does become dangerous because we have all these people um, walking around thinking black is white or white is black, <laughs> and right. and you can't. You can no longer reason. Two plus two equals five. That right. was to be a joke in Orwell. That right. literally is. They're they're saying that now. I know. Like, I know. Why can't you? It's like, did you not read 1984? The lovely Deborah oh. Wheeler says, please ask Margaret to apply that to what they are teaching the children in government schools. Mm. I'm to not apply. sure what she wants. I'm not sure what she wants you to apply. I guess what we were. But I right. guess maybe comment, comment on what they're teaching because they're certainly not teaching them uh, cursive handwriting right. Or, right. or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're doing what George Carlin um, said schools were created to do, which is to create obedient workers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you have to um, drum educate people's independent critical thinking skills out of them. So they will automatically accept whatever the media feeds them through their yeah. trough. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And just, you know, people, and that's why, I, I mean, I would be, a, my kids are grown, but if, if I was still, I would have been on a viral video every week at those school boards. But uh, I live close to Loudoun County, Virginia, and that was, I used to work there, and that was the epicenter of the school board uh, protests. Oh. And I've been trying to, I can't, it doesn't look like they got anything accomplished. It doesn't look like there was much turnover at all there. And I said at the time, if we can't make inroads, because you have to start at the bottom. My friend Vince Agnelli is probably listening. He believes, you know, we have to start local societies and uh, just kind of withdraw from there and just don't, don't feed the monster anymore. But yeah. uh, the problem is if we can't get change done, if we can't, if it's entrenched and if you saw some of those videos with these people, they are tyrants on the school board. Mm 
Yeah. I mean, they, mm-hmm. I, they, that, that's the, a low level. If we can't get change there, how could, what hope do we have? We certainly, we know we don't have any hope in Congress. 96% of them are supposedly reelected every election. And, uh, you know, who knows if they're counting the votes, but it's, it's very depressing to think that we could, I mean, you had these people, I mean, I don't understand what kind of parents, especially white parents, my kids are going to school and they're teaching, they're beating my little kid over the head in kindergarten and first grade that he's got something to be guilty about, or he should feel bad about something because yeah. of that's, that's just as, well, I don't even think they did that to black kids in school. I don't think they, they ever told them, you know, you're, you're officially you're subpar, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just like that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's psychological abuse once again. Yes. Um, and they're sowing these deep seated divisions from childhood, which are, you know, what are these people going to be like when they grow up and how much hatred are they going to have and see the other as subhuman and dehumanize? Um, it's really tragic um, what's happening. And then they're not only doing the white children a disservice, but they're doing, um, you know, black children and minorities a disservice by saying they're victims and teaching yes, them that yes. they need to be dependent on the system and, yes. and they are helpless and they don't have the power to ha- take responsibility for themselves and their lives. I- so they are just perpetuating um, this this terrible culture that is causing, you know, them to be, to feel oppressed to begin with. Exactly. And I, I would urge everyone to listen to Jason Whitlock's uh, fearless podcast. This is a black guy who's a sports writer. He is, first of all, he's very funny and he is uh, the best voice in terms of, uh, cause he criticizes no other person criticizes black culture like he does. And, uh, but this guy, he calls it racial idolatry. And he talks mm-hmm. about their per- perpetual victimhood status, and he's exactly right because they're not doing them any—they're not doing anybody any favors. I mean, it right. used to be, you know, school—you weren't really teachers didn't acknowledge what race you were, right? I mean, I thought that was the idea back then. Colorblind exactly. society. Now mm-hmm. it's first and foremost, and I don't understand why parents are allowing every one of those schools. Those white parents especially should be up in arms. They should be out there saying, this is ridiculous. Whatever critical race theory is, we don't want it. We don't want these books in the library. We don't want trends. I don't want my little kids. First of all, I don't want my little white kids subjected to, you know, people saying he's horrible and he must apologize for something. He doesn't even, you know, he's five or six years old. And I don't want him to possibly think he's a her or anything like that. Why are you confusing with, I mean, I, this is you're right. It's 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 hideous abuse. It's psychological abuse of these children. Yeah. And then it's once again going back to collectivism because um, they don't want people to see themselves as empowered, responsible individuals, but instead as part of a collective identity and therefore to, um, you know, they can be much more manipulated when they are a group. And they have that uh, group consciousness as opposed to being independent individuals who are able to make decisions and think for themselves. And I said with Christine is there, and she's the second one. Um, I'm sorry, I forget. Somebody else said they homeschool as well. Christine says she was a teacher. She gave up her teaching career for my girl. I couldn't see her going to school in today's room. And she saw the sausage Good being job. made. Yeah, yeah. And that's wonderful. It's, and that's and that's the problem is in the, the right wing answer to everything is homeschool. And that sounds good, but the problem is it's not economically feasible. 
for most families, because yeah. that means that, you know, otherwise you wouldn't have uh, both parents worrying so much. So I don't know what the answer is, but it's uh, I, I'm just glad my kids aren't little today because I would have so many issues with it. I mean, just, oh, I know. It's ridiculous. I don't do, I do. Do you have children? No, just cats. Thankfully, I, mean, I shouldn't say thankfully. Well, they can't do they can't do too much to them. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not yet. Well, they yeah. should be up in arms over the humans using kitter litter boxes. I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Seems to me that's cultural appropriation, isn't it? In some way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at these uh, questions, but yeah. Um, I want to make sure, and I, I want to make sure because you know we got like 15 minutes left. Have we? Is there anything you wanted to talk about that I'm not talking about? I'm I'm all. If you listen to my show, this is what I I'm all over the map. I I'll talk old Hollywood, and then I'll be talking you know whatever some kind of conspiracy. So I <laughs> I, I can talk about anything you'd like to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I would say uh, one of our most powerful weapons is. Um, using the same kind of linguistic tools that the propagandists use to manipulate us to uncover their lies. And so I have focused on things like framing and um, using certain words and terms that reveal their deceptions. So for example, I coined the term philanthropath in my anatomy of a philanthropath series in June, 2022. And that is a, a philanthropist masquerading as a psych, I mean, a psychopath masquerading as a philanthropist. And so that term, um, philanthropath, is now practically mainstreamed. It's being used constantly for Bill Gates, which was one of my goals. And um, people like Neil Oliver have used it in multiple monologues. And so every time, you know, if you go Twitter to Twitter and you search for philanthropath, it is often paired with Bill Gates and you'll see thousands and thousands of people using it. So I think that's really powerful to be able to just have a single term to show the deception of, you know, whatever you're trying to reveal. Um, so another example is mistakes were not made. I wrote and published that poem on January 1st, 2023. And the, I knew that, what was coming down the pike and was already starting to happen with COVID is that the leaders, once their lies collapse and everyone begins to see the harms that COVID policies cause to the economy, to lives, to health, they have to start coming out with their mistakes were made, excuses and, and you know, that Atlantic um, uh, limited hangout of we need a an amnesty or pandemic amnesty and basically making all yeah. the excuses so i intentionally um published that poem with the title mistakes were not made mm -hmm. to point to the fact that these were not mistakes these were not blunders these were all intentionally harmful and des decimating policies um, by uh, people who essentially want to destroy our economy. You know, we're dealing with a financial collapse situation where they are intentionally engineering these crises so people will um, turn to the government and allow them to take this and that power away from us as individuals. 
um, in the name of protecting us and safety and public health and you know the greater good, which is as Albert Camus said, the alibi of tyrants is you know the welfare of people is the alibi of tyrants, mm -hmm. and so that um, so one of the reasons I use mistakes were not made is I wanted every time a politician or somebody makes an excuse saying mistakes were made and we didn't know better. No, we knew better. Um, and I have a piece called Letter to the Amnesty Demanders um, that basically says, you know, we were the ones who were telling you this from the outset from 2020 and you were calling us conspiracy theorists. Yes. And um, now you're starting to see that we were telling the truth and you were being lied to, but you're still making excuses for the perpetrators and the liars. Um, and so that's, and I was very fortunate to collaborate with Dr. Tess Laurie, who founded the World Council for Health. And um, she did a reading of the my poem um, that went viral um, starting in, it was in March, um, 2023. And people are still sharing that video and it's still being used like daily to wake people up to all of the ways in which uh, these lies were orchestrated. And so that's just a 333 word poem that encapsulates my understanding of COVID tyranny and how it was achieved as succinctly as possible. So I encourage people to read it, to watch that video. And then on January 1st, I released a new video of a reading by Mike Eden. And so Tess brought this emotional poignancy to her reading and Mike brings this simmering rage. And um, so I think they complement each other very powerfully. And I encourage people to use those, to share them. Anytime people are <laughs> saying mistakes were, were made, send them mistakes were not made and, you know, try to propagate like this as much as possible because we just need to keep holding their feet to the fire and not, do not let them get away with it. And that's what my poem closes with. Don't let them go get away with it. Absolutely. Have you heard of the book? Stephanie Green mentions on screen Vernon Coleman's book, Anyone Who Tells You Vaccines Are Safe Is Lying. No, I haven't. It sounds haven't. like right up your alley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do check that out. Okay, um, let's see here. Teachers, uh, I'm looking to see anything else here. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I, I think that, uh, do you? I don't know if you're religious or not, but I mean, there. there I think that we're, because I look at the insidious nature of um, what we're up against. I mean, this is just, it's, it's beyond immorality to what we're seeing. Some of these unconscionable things. I'm mean, just look just in the COVID thing alone. How many people um, didn't get to say goodbye to their grandparents or whatever? Yeah. How many people didn't get, you know, people weren't hugging each other anymore. Yeah. Fauci said, we may never be able to shake hands again. It's like, what, what, what kind of nonsense is this? And people yeah. bought it and they, they, I mean, they, they didn't, if you weren't vaccinated, in my case, I couldn't go to my niece's wedding and uh, that's caused a fracture. My, my kids aren't going to forget it because they played with her, you know, a lot. And uh, it, it's, I don't, there's so much of that going on. Yeah. And that's wholly intentional because they want to break the bonds of human connection because that's how we resist tyranny and authoritarianism. And, basically they wanted to divide families and this is a, a very this is going back to marxism you know that's a very common um tactic is to and cults as well essentially they 
break people apart from their families and their friends and make them feel isolated and anxious and alone. And therefore people will cling to whatever solution this, you know, religion, cult, group, whatever political yeah. ideology offers them to save them from that feeling of anxiety and fear. Um, and yeah. so, I, you know, Naomi Wolf and I talked about this um, topic and, you know, the nature of evil in her dissident dialogue. And um, I kind of take issue in a way of saying, well, it's all, you know, the demonic forces or Satan or whatever, because mm -hmm. that to me gives people a pass and people, yeah. the yeah. people who are committing these things are psychopaths. They are culpable for their actions. And even though, people like us can't comprehend that and it doesn't mean that they're not evil and they're not yeah. committing these well things. sure and I, but i think people look at it there it's some things it's hard to understand christine who was again gave up her, her teaching career for a child said she but she's trying to get her daughter in a church group and there's a couple trans kids in there and again nobody wants to i wrote book bullyocracy and i'm sure these are the kind of kids that were bullied a lot but yeah. it's you know you can't encourage it and promote it because there is something, you know, there's obviously at the very least confusion going on there. Yeah. And, and a lot and of autism. Yes. A lot. Of, and then there's, especially once you, and once this becomes mainstream, I know in my area, something like, I forget, like 5,000% increase in the number of trans kids than five yeah. years ago. They're almost, yeah. and it's because it's the media. And, and that's, why are we encouraging this? Why do we, I mean, well, I, if you step back, so many of the policies you see in these issues that are being pushed all serve a depopulation agenda. Yes. And so, yes. Um, you know, if you get people, and this is even happening, you know, just in terms of heterosexual relationships, uh, that those kind of standard uh, marriage or family yeah. unit, you know, you know, basically yeah. when people would fall in love and have kids. And that was, that's the natural way of life and humanity yeah. throughout history. Yeah. But um, if you politicize that and make having a family and being married yes. seem, you know, if you vilify that and basically you try to promote the opposite of that, you're decreasing the um, number of births, you're uh, essentially serving this um, club of Rome yeah. uh, depopulation uh, agenda lie and myth that has been perpetrated, the neo-Malthusian um, people who have been promoting that and that has been, you know, repeatedly disproven. Um, but they essentially, whether or not they believe overpopulation is a danger or they're just using that to mask their philanthropathic <laughs> missions to gather all the resources for themselves. Um, it's still, we need to recognize it for what it is. And, and you, you see the telltale signs of it in all these, um, you know, otherwise completely irrational um, ideas that are being promoted. Well, it, 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 and, and they all, they all, you mentioned eugenics and I've written a lot about that. And Bill Gates is certainly like the poster child for that. But uh, I, ironically that if you combine the, the vaccine and if it's really killing as many people as, as some claim it is, uh, that obviously serves the depopulation agenda. And if you, yes. I don't think it's an accident that the transgender movement is, is really started booming 
right about the time COVID hit. And what what is what does transgenderism mean? If 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 they can get enough boys to become girls and girls to become boys, that's depopulation. Yeah, it's not going to exactly. happen. It's it's mm-hmm. the same thing, but it's I think it all it suits their agenda, and uh, people ought to be worried about it. Because, yeah. You know, and then once once again, the pharmaceutical corporations are profiting yeah. off of it, and yes, they're essentially they sterilizing puberty blockers um, and everything. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, children. So again, that serves the depopulation agenda. Yeah, and that's and you know people, the idea. But this is you know is one thing when I we used to I used to debate somebody about Lee Harvey Oswald killing Kennedy or something, you know. But this is at a whole new level. Yeah, or you know, nineteen crazed Arabs doing nine eleven or something. That, that's at a whole level from. You know, debating medical people on yeah. on is you know you're you're inject you're you're stopping puberty. I mean, yeah. how how can you not see bad things happening from that? Right. You don't have right. to be a genius to know that that not that can't be good. That's right. You know. Right. Yeah. But, but the left buys that, and it's it's just uh, it's really I I have a. Um, my sister used to watch a little girl uh, for a long time uh, when she was young and it's almost like a daughter to her. And uh, I saw her on Facebook and she's, she became a teacher, a very woke teacher. And she had two boys and both of them, I could tell by the pictures, they were all, I mean, you know, she wore a pussy hat to Washington DC and uh, everything was political. It was obvious what her politics were. And she had a lot of transgenderism stuff there. You could tell both of them maybe were gender fluid one of them became officially transgender mm. and he committed suicide. Oh. And, and, you know, the, the, you, the suicide rate for those kids is through the roof. Right. Right. And, but you can't say it. That's, that's transphobia to say it's like, so you well, want and the irony is they yeah. use that statistic of the high suicide rates among transgenders yeah. to bully the other yes. side. Yes. <laughs> yes. That it's, it's the fault of those who criticize them. No, it's your fault for screwing with their heads and causing them to go on pharmaceutical products that yes. completely, you know, ruin their natural biology and their development and their brain development as well. Everybody, everybody likes the show. I'm getting lots of compliments on the show. Great guests. You've had one person say you were a cutie. So that's pretty good. It's a pretty good day for you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> See if you have any more questions in here. Uh, I've used this not once. Twisted pistol refused vaccines. Well, we all did. I, I I don't know how, you know. I don't know what I would have done because I, I had a decent paying job in IT. And if they would have made me get vaccinated. So I, I don't know. I, I'm sure my wife wouldn't wouldn't would it would not have supported it, but it's I understand what, you know, if you, if you get, if you're giving up a good salary and you know, like I did after leaving that job, I'm unemployable, but uh, is other than writing, but um, I, I can't criticize people too much if they, if they're, if their family depends on it and their family right. are pressuring because most of the time the family's going to pressure them. Hey, come on, get vaccinated. You know, we, we, we had, we need that money. Yeah. What do you say I mean, to people like that? Yeah. Well, for one, the most, tragic stories I've heard are of people who got back, they were coerced by their employer into getting vaccinated and then they died or became permanently 
disabled, which completely negates the reason that they got, they gave in and got vaccinated to begin with because they wanted to support their families. Well, now they can't do either. And they can't support their families because either they're dead or they're disabled mm -hmm. and then costing ridiculous medical bills, um, which again is the other perk of the vaccine injuries is it's extraordinarily lucrative for the medical pharmaceutical industrial complex. Absolutely. There's no question about that. Everybody, everybody's saying good show. They all like you. It's wonderful. And I certainly, I, we, we're going to have to, uh, I'll have to communicate with you privately about, uh, you know, writing and things like that, because mm -hmm. uh, you, uh, we, we have a lot in common. We're definitely on the same page. There's no question. It's nice to meet somebody who, uh, who came basically from the same place mm -hmm. and, and who ended up in the same place. Wonderful yeah, show. Yeah. Everybody, Kirsten, well, everybody's a great show. So it's wonderful. We've got a so, great audience. I invite everyone to sign up for my Substack because we've got a really wonderful community there. Um, I have a piece called Letter to My Caress. But one of the things I just uh, has been really important to me is to nurture that community and I find that the readers that I have are just really brilliant, brave, funny. Um, they contribute so much in the comments, and I just feel yes, really grateful yeah. to um, be part of this community. Yeah, it is great, and uh, lots of the, lots of people here, uh, White Wolf, and uh, some some others on here that uh, are regular commentators, and it is great. They add a lot to it, and especially yeah. when you get a lot of comments, and sometimes it's funny, and they add everything to it. So. We couldn't yeah. do it without you, obviously. So once again, we're just about out of time. Uh, give out your links again. Anything else you want to close with, Margaret? Okay. Um, MargaretAnnaAllis.com will take you to my sub stack. And um, I just, I really enjoyed this conversation, Don. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was wonderful. It's, it's nice that we're on the same page. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to talk to kindred spirits. And uh, I yeah. certainly wish you luck. And you've... You, but that's the great, the beauty of Substack. I'm trying to follow in your footsteps because you, you built something really good there. And uh, I know mine is doing better and better. And uh, mm -hmm. so hopefully I'll, I'll uh, you know, get into that realm. But it's wonderful because you can, you just put it out there right away and you have subscribers that see it and you get instant yeah. feedback. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. And, you know, there's people out there thinking and you're, uh, you're influencing people. So that's, that's all we can ask for. So yeah. Margaret and Alice, wonderful. Wonderful talking with you. We'll have to do it again. And uh, I'll, I'll be in touch with you uh, privately. And uh, again, thanks for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for listening to I Protest. We'll see you next week. Same time, same bat channel, <laughs> whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank see you, everybody here. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.